break from me was pretty short, but there it is. Uh, it's, it is great to see everybody here today um, on, on Super Bowl Sundays. It's, it's amazing that any of us are here, so I'm pretty sure theologically there's no levels of heaven, but if there are, I'm pretty sure it's people who don't show up for church on Sunday and then, you know, they cut above. Uh, probably not, though. Um, it's, it's, it's a busy time in America right now. I mean, we have our Super Bowl right now, and, but also it's a year divisible by four. And so for political junkies, that means it's presidential politics season, um, which is an interesting time among us. Uh, we're, we're strange people. Um, I've actually kind of enjoyed the debates this year. Most of the time they just kind of make me nervous and upset. But this year they've been fun just because I kind of enjoy having people promise me free stuff. And they're kind of trying to outbid each other. It's a little bit like a livestock auction. You know, one person is, you know, okay, I'll give you this free stuff. Other person's like, I'll give you twice as much free stuff and a pony. And so, you know, it's like going back and forth. And it's like, okay, do I have 25? Do I have 35? 35? Okay, 40? No. So it's interesting. You know, nobody knows where it's going to come from. Um, but it's mine if I check the right box. And that's, that's fun. <laughs> um, I think actually... Last season, one of the candidates promised that the oceans themselves would recede if, if we voted properly. I'm not sure how that's turning out, but, um, but it's interesting. And so it's, it's this strange ritual we as Americans get to undergo every four years. Um, you know, other people have their own weird stuff. Um, this is our tribal thing. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're, we're promised the moon. And, and you know, I, I, think, I think most of us are just, you know, skeptical and, and uh, cynical enough at this point to where... We're not really expecting them to deliver on everything they promise. Um, you know, we, we're promised the moon after the election. It's still up there in the sky. Nobody's surprised. Uh, but, but what is interesting about it is even though we're skeptical going into this, and I, I suspect rightly so, what is interesting is looking at what it is that we are offered by our politicians, what it is that they're selling. Uh, because if nothing else, the, these, are, these are wise market actors. These are people saying, okay, here's what I'm going to offer you. And what they offer us tells us a lot about what we want, where we feel that we have an unmet need, where we feel insecure, where we feel unsafe. Uh, you know, our politicians promise us that if we vote the right way, uh, the country will become great again, that we'll be respected, that we'll be rich, that we'll be safe from enemies within and without. And, you know, we, we change who the enemies are. That's sort of a rotating cast. But they sell these things because that's where we have needs. That's where we're worried. And so it, it tells us something about ourselves when we see what they offer. Even if we don't buy what they're selling, the fact that that's what they're selling says, reveals that that's what we're in the market for. And I don't think they're off base there because the fact is, is we, uh, most of us, I don't think feel all that safe. And maybe we feel safe right now. Um, I know when I look at Abby, I think a lot about the world she's going to inherit and I'm not jumping for joy at that thought. Um, and I don't think many of us feel all that rich or all that respected or all the other things that we're being promised because most likely we do not have them or do not feel them. And so I want to, to take a moment and, and look at this you know, first world set of problems um, and look at it through the lens of a much older world 
set of problems. Um, we, have, we have two letters recorded in our Bibles from the Apostle Peter. Uh, and in the first one of those letters, 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to look just at, at the very beginning of what he says in verses 3 through 5. And, and he's writing to, to believers, to Christians, dispersed across the ancient world. Uh, in, in the first verse he says, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all, all scattered over the ancient world. And he's writing to them, and this is a, a group of people that, that aren't having it terribly easy. This is a people who are oppressed. They're scattered. They're dispersed. Um, they're under threat. The persecution does get, of Christians in the ancient world does get worse after this letter, but I think a lot of them see it coming. And the first the first rumblings of, of the coming uh, purges and horrible events are, are making themselves known at this point, and people are rightly concerned. And so Peter writes to them, and he opens the letter, and he says this, in verse, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, you might rightly be wondering if I, if I read the right verse because my, my buildup of, of these dire omens and portents uh, may not seem necessarily connected to those words. And indeed, to the people Peter was writing to, it might have seemed just as out of place. Uh, in, in dark times, and with uh, paper not exactly being a cheap commodity, Peter doesn't spend his time penning a 10-point plan of action, uh, but instead declares a word of praise, which is interesting. It's unexpected. And why? Why? Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this to, to a group of people faced with all manner of hardships, uh, under threat of complete social rejection, of loss of property or even life itself. And it's uh, certainly a group of people in no immediate danger of picking their elected officials. So the cost of those words, the weight of them, Peter writes, blessed be. He's writing, blessed be, perhaps, and this letter will be received by people who were put out of the synagogue, cast out of their local church, who had lost their entire social standing and group of friends, uh, neighbors shunning them, crossing the street to avoid them. Uh, he, he's writing, blessed be, to people who perhaps had to pack up only what they could carry and leave town in the middle of the night and travel to a city whose name they can't pronounce. Uh, perhaps even people receiving the letter that says, blessed be, have buried children who would not renounce Christ. So uh, I urge us to consider the weight of these words, of this word of praise, blessed be. Do we have the courage to consider what he's saying here? Can we move ourselves into the dark times in which these words were written and, and Peter wrote, blessed be? And so, stopping to look at what's, what's written here, oh, 
against all the pain that the world can bring to bear, against all the horror, what is held up to answer those dark times? And, and it's only this, that according to his great mercy, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That the worry and the doom that we correctly, incidentally, sense in this world is answered by this thing alone. That the unearned compassion of God descending from heaven, raising our, our sin-sick souls from the dead, is the only response to the madness around us. When, when we're born, we are born to die. That's our destiny, that's our fate. All experience teaches us this, that when we come to this place, uh, a timer has started, and we will grow up, and then we will grow down, and then be gone. It is inevitable. Canadians joke about two certainties, death and taxes, and it's not easy, and you shouldn't do it, but you can hide from the tax man. People have done it. Um, that, that is not transferable to death, however. But in uh, our Old Testament reading, you, you've just heard, uh, and, it, and it bears repeating, that Prophet Isaiah once asked the Lord, what shall I cry? And the Lord answered, all flesh is grass. But, but God, <laughs> two great words in the Bible, but then something happens. Something changes. God himself comes and causes us to be born again to a new life. And, and then in this new life, we're not born again to die. We're born again to live and live forever and abundantly and, and in so doing, make mockery of the death that thought its victory assured. And to that, Peter writes, blessed be. And, and can we find the courage to same, say the same thing? Can we, in honesty and in integrity in our hearts, look at the troubles of our lives, look at our fears and our anxieties, and God forbid our credit card bills, and consider Christ's work on our behalf at the future that awaits, and say, blessed be the God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so, as we look to our leaders here in the present to make us safe, as we, as we look to this world to provide a future for us, hoping that somehow, when we add up all the numbers, that we'll come away satisfied, that we'll come away with our needs met. Instead, Peter, Peter, this, this Cephas, the rock on which Christ built his church, gives us a word to hear and says, not only have you been born again to a living hope, in this new life, there is an inheritance for you. It is an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The, those words are interesting. They, they might seem repetitious, but, but each one does have a point. Uh, actually, Pastor David Wells over at THBC put imperishable this way, um, and it, <laughs> it caught my memory and attention, so I, I, I re-deliver it to you wholesale here. When the Bible is speaking of imperishable here, um, the best illustration would be if you go out to dinner, say with the wife, and there's leftovers from the restaurant, you take it home in those unmicrowavable styrofoam things, and it goes in the back of the fridge, and you think about eating it several times, but 
you can't microwave the styrofoam thing, you don't really want to transfer it onto a plate, so it just stays in the back of the fridge for a while. And then some months later, you open the fridge and you can say, something has perished. <laughs> something that was not imperishable, but was in fact perishable, has perished. Uh, and, and undefiled, uh, something that has not been touched by the darkness in this world. Something that was made to be good and has been uncorrupted by events around it. Something that has not strayed from its original pure, perfect design. Something much unlike everything that we know around us. And unfading, timeless, not subject to the entropy of, de of decay. Not something with diminishing returns. And so as, as we look at this inheritance that we've been offered, we're forced to contrast it against all the wealth this world can offer. In fact, not just all the wealth this world can offer, but everything this world can offer us. Because everything in this world is perishable, is defiled, and is fading fast. The uh, author of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, is, is, a, is a troubled man. <laughs> and, and, as, and as he looks at work and toil and struggle and just the, the grind of seasons in life, he, he asks, how does he put it, uh, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? What do you get from it? There's that old song, 16 tons, and what do you get another day older and deeper in debt? It's not a good financial plan, but to some extent, that's our lives. And so, we're forced to confront the fact that whatever we build in this world, however great and marvelous it may be in that moment, we have built it in a world that is subject to sin, to futility, and to decay. Uh, there, there's a poet, Bryce Shelley, and, and he, he wrote a poem once that, that told of a statue, and I won't repeat it here because it's super flowery language and I just don't feel that creative. Um, but it, it told a story of a, of a uh, a statue that had an inscription under it. And it said on the statue, I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. And that's, it's, it's impressive, but the statue was just a, a platform and a broken pair of legs and half of a shattered face lying in the sand in the middle of a forgotten desert with nothing for miles around. Uh, it, it may have been a glorious monument in its time, but so it ends all the great and mighty works of man. Lost in a desert, broken and fading, waiting for just the right wind conditions to bury it forever. But that is not what we have been offered in Christ. As the, uh, at the time of Jesus' coming, as the Jewish people look forward to the Messiah, we're, we're waiting with, with bated breath for the promise to be fulfilled, for the time of deliverance to come, for, for God to, to undo this, this great tragedy of Gentiles ruling over them in their promised land. And Jesus shows up, and how shocked they must have been that he came preaching not David's kingdom, but God's. God's people would have settled for a plot of arid, dry, rocky land in the Middle East and said, that is salvation. And Jesus heavily paraphrased, says, you're not thinking big enough. And the question then to us becomes, has anything changed in 2,000 years? Are we thinking big enough? Are we satisfied 
with what we would think salvation. When offered a, an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading in the eternal kingdom, do we cling all the tighter to our own kingdoms of plastic and chrome? Is it a question of faith? Is it a question of attention span? Uh, and, and this is something that, that I struggle with myself, and, and I suspect a great number of us do, because th this, this passage tells us our inheritance is kept for us in heaven. And that's great, but I would also like it here and now and sooner, because I can see it and I'm lazy and I'm impatient. And that's hard for us. It's hard for me, but looking at these words, reflecting on them, I'm confronted with the fact that it's a fool's bargain. A treasure in a broken and fading world is, by necessity, a broken and fading treasure. And God will not offer his children a second-class salvation. And, and we are his children, and that's, that's something that's not to be ignored because if we have in fact been bought by the blood of Christ, we are God's children because we are inheritors. Friends do not inherit, second cousins removed do not inherit, neighbors don't inherit, children do. And if we are inheritors, then we are God's children. And that inheritance, that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance is being kept for us in the presence of our Father in heaven. And to that Peter writes, blessed be. And so, for us, the question becomes, how shall we live? If these things are true, if we believe them, if we allow them to change our hearts, how shall we live? How long, O oh Lord, must we wait, the Bible says. As we look at the dangers and concerns of our present age, and we look to that distant horizon where our true home and inheritance lies, the road between the two can seem very long and very dark. And Peter Peter comforts us here and says, you don't walk that road alone. Uh, if we look at our fifth verse, it says, who by God's power, this is speaking of us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if we are children of God, and if we are inheritors of the kingdom that is coming, we must know that then we are by the very power of God himself. By, by the mighty right hand of God are being kept, are being guarded on this long road until the end. And whether that end will be soon or far, whether that end will be our own personal end or the return of Christ, we are by God's power being kept. We're being held in His hand. This is some heavy theological stuff and I, I won't belabor the point endlessly, but, but God speaks a lot about how those who are in his hand cannot be snatched away. That, that it is not a question of our faithfulness, of our ability to endure. It's not a question of our steadfast. It's a question of God's steadfastness, of his ability to endure, of his faithfulness to us. And so, if we have been given this, this lamp of faith, this, this light of the Spirit's flame to light our path on this road, if, if we ask ourselves, well, can any storm of the enemy quench this fire? Uh, I would say we have too low an opinion of the power of God if we say yes. Uh, in the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, 
the disciples or, and uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of other people Jesus sent out, the 72, came back from this, this mission trip Jesus sent them on, and, and they were amazed. They were saying, Jesus, uh, when, in your name we're casting out demons and all these amazing things are happening. And, and Jesus says, don't, don't rejoice that demons are cast out in your name. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And so, who shall oppose God and remain successful? If we are being kept by his power, are we secure? And the answer is yes. And to that, Peter says, blessed be. And so, we are inheritors. We are children. We are guarded by his power and we are saved by his resurrection. And so, Though this road does remain lit, it, it is also long. And we don't know how long the Lord will tarry until he returns. We don't know if our days will be long and, and, and difficult or short and sweet or something in between. The, the question before us today, the, the thing we must be confronted with as we read these words, is we must ask ourselves is that as we wait, as we travel on this road together, Will we live and worship victoriously because the one we worship is victorious? When we examine our lives, can we honestly say that we have been born again to a living hope? Or have we simply heard the word of God and had a seed grow from that and then had it choked out by the weeds and cares of this world? Has the the freeing cry of, of the Old Testament horn of Jubilee where every 50 years land was returned and slaves were set free, has that has that happened in our hearts? Or are we voting and working and planning like our hope depends on that? I urge you to consider the words of Peter. If the torch of your faith has never been sparked, if, if you can, looking in your heart, honestly say, I have not been born again to a living hope. That, that, that event has not transpired in me. I urge you to call out to God. He will not forsake you. The Spirit will come bearing that fire. And you will be given life. And, and if you have believed, if, if, this, if this is the road you are on, but the flame feels weak and the road feels long, my, my advice remains the same. Cry out to the Lord. and He will not forsake you. He will keep you by his power to the end, to that great and glorious and terrible day of the Lord. It is a long road we are on, but salvation comes. In the last times it comes, and we know not the hour, but we know the Lord is faithful, and so we know he comes. And by God's power, we shall stand strong and endure until the day that he comes. And it is my prayer that in that moment, we, brothers and sisters, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be able to, with one voice, cry out in the presence of God our Father, Blessed be. Let us pray. Oh, holy God. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. I am driven far too often to consider my weakness and not your greatness. I am far too often given cause to reflect on my danger and not your ability to deliver me from it. Lord, you are a God worthy of all our praise. 
You are the entirety of our hope, the summation of our desire. God, everything worth having is in you and comes from you. And God, I pray that you will free our hearts from our foolishness and our fear and allow us to respond to your reality, to what you've done and who you are with complete and unfettered joy and worship. Lord, truly, you are blessed. And it is my delight to be able to say that to you today, to worship you, to honor you. And I, and I lack the words to do so completely. If I, if I were the most eloquent man alive, if I spoke the tongues of men and angels, as, as Paul wrote, I would not have the words to capture your greatness, but Lord, you are holy, and I thank you. In the name of your beloved Son, Jesus, I pray these things to you. Amen.